From the PA Foundation, I'm James Millward, and welcome to Vital Minds, a podcast connecting the most vital issues in clinical care with the top minds facing them every day. Today, I'm joined by Andrea Lowe, MHA and PAC, who you may have recognized because she has filled in as a guest host on recent episodes of Vital Minds. Today, Andrea and I are discussing a recent panel that took place at the PA Foundation's annual corporate forum, where three PA student leaders had the opportunity to share their experiences with us. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, James. After attending the meeting, I knew the Vital Minds audience would want to hear the lively discussion from this next generation of PAs. The conversation, which was taped in front of a live audience, covers each student's unique background and path to PA school, as well as their hopes for their careers. Our panel discussion included Cooper Couch, president of the AAPA Student Academy Board of Directors, Casey Hardsick, chief delegate of the Student Academy Board of Directors, and Katie Gansner, president-elect of the Student Academy Board of Directors. Each of these volunteer leaders serve in the capacity through June 30th, 2020. That's great. Sounds like a good group of individuals. Now, what was your impression of this group? Well, I'll say this, James. When you've met one PA student, you've met one PA student. You might think that PA students all start with the science-based undergraduate degrees, but they don't. Cooper, who is completing his PA degree program at the University of Southern California, has an undergraduate degree in Spanish. Casey, who studies at Monmouth University in New Jersey, has a background in science, nutrition, food, and exercise. And Katie has an undergraduate degree in biology and an MBA. We started the conversation by getting to know these student leaders and understanding why they chose the PA profession. Just listen to what they had to say. It's a good question. I did consider other options. So as I mentioned, I did my graduate work um, right after undergrad. and was really attracted to business and ended up working in healthcare consulting. Um, So was working kind of more in pharma biotech. Uh, And after a few years of doing that, um, felt the calling back to clinical medicine and wasn't exactly sure what that path looked like. Um, I was originally planning on going to medical school and honestly didn't even know what the PA profession was. I had NPs, my mom is an NP, I'd had nurse practitioner providers. Um, And then I had one PA provider in primary care and then made other friends in the community who were PAs and started shadowing and kind of got a sense of um, what the profession looked like, how it compared to NPs and doctors. Um, And in the end, found that the PA profession was the right fit for me because A, of how much change and excitement is happening right now. So it was a really fun time to get involved as a PA student and also um, for the flexibility that being a PA has. So not having to commit to a specialty or to primary care, um, but having that flexibility throughout my career to kind of evolve um, as I evolve as a person. So I think our minds are kind of trained to answer this question for interviews. um, And I don't have the mission in front of me, so I can't really connect this to the school I'm applying to. But I guess the the real reason I even chose medicine to begin with is very personal for me. Um, Both of my parents passed away to illness, and so I grew up in and out of hospitals. Um, My mom had uh, very rare cancer when I was 13, and my dad survived an aortic aneurysm when I was 16 and was in assisted living after that. So I kind of had a lived experience that really pushed me into medicine, I guess. Um, I wanted to make a difference, and that's 
I had a passion for it because I had a very personal connection. So um, I obviously considered med school first because you think medicine, that's kind of the only option you have when you first, when you're 16, 17 years old. Um, but I found that I, I really liked learning languages. So I kind of found a school that worked for both. And then I got to my undergrad, I mentioned earlier is Middlebury College and they are a liberal arts program. So there's, um, quite a few people who do a lot of different things and they do their best to do them all well. And when I looked into med school, I imagined myself 10, 20 years down the line going into a specialty and doing the same thing day after day. And even with advances in technology and healthcare, I couldn't really see myself just committing to one specialty. I wanted to be able to do switch, I guess, between specialties without having to go back to do a residency. So, um, that kind of led me to the PA profession. I worked at a summer camp uh, called the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp in Ashford, Connecticut. Um, met a lot of doctors through that experience or physicians and asked them about their experience and whether or not they would choose PA or MD today. And every one of them but one told me if they could go back and do it again, they'd be a PA. So I really took that to heart, um, challenged my assumptions about um, what a PA does or what they can do or can be. Um, and found that that was the best option for me and, and what I wanted to achieve with my, my future and um, career. Similar to both Katie and Cooper, I had considered medical school and didn't know much about the PA profession until my senior year in college at Virginia Tech. I was very involved in personal training and group exercise. And one of the initiatives that I helped start was a How of Happiness group. And it's based off of a book, which I highly recommend, titled How of Happiness. And figuring out what makes you genuinely happy and what creates sustainable happiness. And as I went through, I kept thinking that maybe I don't want to just live for my career and that would have been medicine and I wanted more of a work-life balance. So as I was getting some volunteer hours at the hospital, I started kind of shadowing, bugging PAs, let me hang out with you, let me get a feel for what you do. And um, between deciding what was going to make me the most happy, I came to the conclusion that PA had this great balance. And I think a lot of students um, would agree, and that's a lot of the reason why that they pursue PA over MDDO. And um, so that's, that's the gist of it. And then I also thought, as I mentioned, very involved in fitness, that I would love to teach yoga on Saturday mornings or continue to help and pursue personal training as kind of like a side gig of my own. And I just didn't see that flexibility with, um, with a career in, as an MD. Wow, you're not kidding, Andrea. This is a, quite an impressive group. As an early career PA myself, I think back to my own class, and we had students coming from all walks of life. I know there were multiple uh, PA students that had come in previously as an EMT. We had multiple registered nurses. We had registered dietitian. had a couple friends that were medical scribes, uh, one that was a physical therapist. I myself came from a clinical research background where I had at one point thought about pursuing a PhD, then realized I wanted to treat patients, and that shifted my focus to PA school. So I think it's very true that most classes are made up with very um, varied backgrounds in, in PA schools. 
James, I couldn't agree with you more. I think these various backgrounds are the reason why we are so proficient and able to pivot during our career. Next, our students share the diverse ways they prepared for PA school. As you know, requirements to apply for PA programs include having some exposure to healthcare, either as a volunteer or in a paid position. These requirements are quite rigorous. I remember myself, although it was quite some time ago, getting prepared for all of the requirements and it's no easy task. Here's what they had to say. So yes, my program required healthcare experience. I think they looked at a minimum of 500 hours and I got a bulk of my hours as a medical scribe. I spent the first eight months in an ER working as a scribe and then the rest of it, I think I did another eight months. I was outpatient, so I was the chief scribe for several sites that were popping up in the area. So I'm biased in thinking that this is one of the best opportunities that a student could have, despite not having physical contact with the patients. Um, outpatient, I worked in internal medicine, primary care, women's health, Hemonc, endocrine. So I had all of this background going into PA school. And even if I didn't understand what the labs were that they were ordering, I could at least associate with it. Um, and the company that I worked for, we were basically shadows of the doctors. And you know, we went into each of the rooms with the providers and took all of the notes. And so we did real-time documentation. I know some other programs aren't, don't necessarily work that way. And then um, I also have a previous master's in clinical exercise physiology. And part of my internship, I worked as a diabetes educator intern in a hospital setting. So I got quite a few hours from that as well, where I worked with pre-diabetics and inpatients. And we discussed sliding scale and diet, nutrition, exercise. Um, and then also, if you're familiar with the uh, DPP program, um, diabetes prevention program. Uh, I was a lifestyle coach for that. So, so kind of a diverse experience, but a couple more years off school than maybe the traditional student might take. So I'll be honest, I applied to 21 schools the second time I applied to PA school. I didn't get accepted the first time. Well, Cast a big net. that's another story for another day. But um, 21 programs, all with different requirements. Um, I don't remember what my program required. <laughs> I just remember my advisor telling me that to be competitive, I needed at least 2,000 hours, regardless of what the minimum was. Um, the first time I applied, I did not count my cabin counselor hours at the camps that I worked at. And those were technically considered by a lot of schools to be similar to what a certified nurse assistant would do. Um, because I was assisting campers with chronic conditions and serious illnesses from sunup to sundown uh, seven days a week for a whole summer for two summers and that was a lot of hours I don't remember how many but I was also a phlebotomist um, and I was a medical interpreter um, I also did social work and case management for a free clinic in Vermont um, I was the only bilingual staff member and 60% of our patient population were Spanish-speaking only um, so that was kind of where I got most of my experience the free clinic I didn't really have a whole lot of hands-on um, anything, it was just picking up farm workers, taking them to their appointments and then interpreting for them and then coming back to maybe four or five phone calls to respond to. So it was, it was a very busy job and it exposed me to a different side of healthcare that a lot of people might not see in their healthcare experience in a hospital or outpatient clinic. 
Thanks, you guys are both really cool. Um, so I, I believe if the application still is the way that it is, they clarify between clinical experience and healthcare experience. Um, I have no clinical experience. <laughs> so I really wanted to go to PA school and I said, I'm gonna try to figure out how to make that work and I don't really wanna wait. So I found the schools that highly encourage hands-on clinical experience, um, but I worked in healthcare consulting for four years prior to applying. Um, and in that role, worked in a number of different disease states, was working in diabetes and hemophilia, and um, getting to know diseases pretty intimately. So I spun that in such a way that it would advantage me um, in PA school and then in future practice. And I do think <laughs> there are a lot of um, advantages from coming from a different background as well, where like my brain is is geared to think strategically and to execute and figure out solutions to problems. Um, so I bring a very different skill set than the vast majority of my peers to uh, the table, and I think that it's really important to have kind of all of those different diverse perspectives. Um, I also did a lot of volunteering. So I volunteered at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin and was on the um, the cardiac floor and then was at a child advocacy center and worked at a free clinic. So I did a lot of like cursory, I was with patients and hanging out with them in their rooms and stuff, but I didn't have any direct um, patient experience. These are such great examples. And again, show how many options that pre-PA students do have to gain the necessary exposures and experience in healthcare prior to entering PA school. I couldn't agree with you more, and it's this wide range of experience that will help prepare these students as frontline care providers who will be met with a wide variety of situations and patient issues. You never know what you will encounter on a daily basis. Up next, the students speak to that and share powerful examples of what it means to truly make connections with their patients. I think a lot of my experience um, exposed me to what good bedside manner looks like. I think that that was, um, especially when I was out on clinical rotations, when I compared myself to other medical professional students who didn't necessarily have to have as many hours to get into a PA program like many of us did, um, I can see that there's a clear difference in our comfort with talking to patients and walking into a room without knowing what the person looks like, but knowing that they have a problem. And my job is to address it and make sure that they felt understood, um, that they trusted me and that I was going to help them. And I think that that, um, you know, I could go specifically into each experience right. and talk about that, but I think across the board, that's, that's what I got out of my experience. And um, on top of that, to be doing a lot of it in Spanish is um, monumental for helping me now in clinic, so. Yeah, so as I kind of alluded to earlier when I answered this, uh, the previous question, that as a scribe, if I didn't know the medications or the labs, if there was free time, I always had Google pulled up on the side, okay, what is this related to? And so I could make these connections. And when I was a chief scribe in our department and I was hiring students or employees, I found that one of the best characteristics were if they were planning on going to medical school or PA school and they wanted to learn and they took that extra initiative to learn those things so that you could almost be thinking like what your provider is going to order before they order it. And so your notes are getting done more efficiently, more quickly. Whereas at one point, you know, there was a site where we needed scribes and we needed 
bodies per se. And I had a great employee who was a hard worker and she got past the initial exams, but she didn't have that internal or that like intrinsic initiative to want to learn more about medicine. So it was harder for her to kind of keep up on things. So I do really think that um, my experience as a scribe just at least helped me become familiar with the verbiage and the language of medicine and um, how to make those connections. And in terms of my experience as a diabetes educator, that's where I kind of got more of the bedside manner and how to explain to patients in layman's terms how these medications work or why this is important. Um, quick anecdote, when I was in the hospital in an inpatient setting, they asked that I go up and speak with a patient about starting insulin and I met with him for about 30 minutes, went through the options, discussed what I thought, and this was in rural Virginia. And based off his body language, he wanted nothing to do with me. He's just like, it's fine, I'll have my girlfriend take care of it. And so I spent a lot of time with him, left him reading materials, I'll leave these here for you. And he's like, it doesn't matter, I'm just gonna give them to my girlfriend, she'll figure it out. Okay, so you know, I went to leave the room, and before I left, he stopped me, and he's like, can I tell you a secret? And I was like, uh, sure. So I, you know, I walked back in the room and he's like, well, the truth is I can't read. And so here I just spent 30 minutes, you know, educating him on sliding scales and these medications and tried to give him like reading material and he's 65 years old. And so it just really set me back because I didn't really think that like literacy was still a problem. Um, so then, you know, worked with him and, you know, we decided to use insulin pens instead of the vial. Um, so it would be easier so that he could count the units and just stuff like that is invaluable and admissions committees love it. <laughs> so um, I, yeah, that's me. Um, so to come at that from two different perspectives, I kind of alluded to being able to like deep dive different diseases and learn a lot about drugs, which is really cool. Or like one of my faculty will be giving a lecture on hemophilia B and they will not really know how those drugs work or how you use them or dose them. Um, and being able to, as the person with probably the least experience in my class, like help um, is really cool. And it probably took me six months to feel like on par with the rest of my class, but I'm there and now it's fine. Um, the second thing that I find invaluable is the confidence to walk into the room and talk to anyone. Um, so like in my previous life, I was leading board meetings and like running panels and I've been just like ingrained in how to work with adults. I know I'm adult, but it's kind of funny when you're like the 24 year old consultant working with a bunch of like very accomplished people um, and kind of telling them what to do. Um, so taking that conf confidence and then using it to be sitting here today, right, um, has been a really cool tool. You know, I agree with what I'm hearing. Taking time to listen and pick up on what our patients may not be saying up front is so vital. Um, paying attention to both those verbal and the nonverbal cues that you get from your um, patients. And having the confidence to ask tough, tough questions, that, that takes a while to really get behind that. Um, if we don't listen to all these cues our patients are giving us, we may miss something big. I love what they said there. I do too. Next, the students dive into how they chose their specialties and ways to take on leadership opportunities in the field. So I entered 
PA school thinking that I wanted to do primary care wholeheartedly um, and work in diabetes education um, and maybe at some point specialize in endocrine. Um, however, and Katie and I were talking about this last night. In fact, one of my interviews, they asked me what I think the hardest thing about being a PA would be. And I immediately related it to my time as a personal trainer. And something that I struggle with is that I, I put a lot of the pressure on myself. And that even though I'm giving 110% to this client or this patient, I can't go home at night and make sure that they're eating the right things for them to hit their weight loss goals or taking their medications as prescribed and um, found it very personally exhausting. And now I'm a couple months out of graduation and applying to cardiothoracic surgery jobs where I can like actually help fix something. And then after that, also educate them about you know, heart healthy diets and exercise and kind of making this full circle, but I still want to do diabetes education on the side. Um, so I originally wanted to go into family medicine. I chose a primary care PA program and I want to work at a federally qualified health center. Um, I think I have a very different background in being a Spanish major and really wanting to work with uh, a Spanish speaking only population. And that's exactly where the highest concentration of that population is, is at federally qualified health centers. So um, yeah, I could talk for hours about family medicine. So I'm doing what I said I was going to do. I definitely said family medicine or primary care. Um, I don't know that I thought that hard about it beforehand. I uh, went in with a pretty open mind. My mind is still open. I have a lot of molding to do. My next rotation is palliative care, which I'm excited about. Um, my short list right now is anything in pediatrics, I think it's interesting to hear that each of the students really wants to continue on with some sort of primary care. That is such a popular path for many PAs, and I think it speaks to the foundation of our training. We are trained in general practice to provide care in a variety of settings. Um, and then people do sometimes choose to specialize. I know for me personally, I really liked surgery. My background in research kind of led me to that. Um, and being able to operate was something I wanted to do as a PA. However, at this time in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, it's been interesting because my role as a surgical PA has definitely stopped with the stopping of outpatient surgeries. And I have had to pivot and I now work with our internal medicine group taking care of all COVID positive patients on the floor. So I think that real-life example from what's currently going on shows the versatility of PAs and shows the importance of we, our, our ability to fulfill the gaps and to provide care when the system is burdened. James, I couldn't agree more. I think the ability of our PA practice to pivot in these times is just exactly what we were trained for. For me personally, I always knew that I wanted to do emergency medicine being an emergency medical, medical technician and working in the ER as a patient tech. For me, ER was a calling, but now more than ever, I see the vital contribution that I can do for the profession during this unsettling time. The next part is one of my favorites. Each of the students talk about how they conceive themselves making an impact in patient care in the future. 
So at my program, we're a three-year program, and um, our last semester, we have a month of a course called Medical Care Organizations. And in that course, we learn about why primary care is so important, amongst a lot of other things. But um, one interesting fact that I didn't know before was that FQHCs provide some of the highest quality of care across all settings. Um, so knowing that, and knowing that I'm going into um, a setting where I will be you know, frustratingly dependent on government funding, but also providing some of the best care um, is kind of an interesting place to be. Um, I know that I'm going to have a huge impact, um, but I think the leadership piece, um, why I'm so interested in leadership and getting involved on a national level, is because I've seen how national leadership can directly affect patient care in settings like FQHC. So I hope to continue going on to advocate for my patients who don't have a voice, who can't go and speak for themselves at um, Capitol Hill like we did today. Yeah, I love kids. <laughs> and. Um, think that on like a personal one-on-one -on -one level, being able to hang out with and work with and improve the lives and mold these like adorable little minds is like just the coolest thing. Um, on a higher level, I think it is very important for PAs, NPs, all kind of, all medical practitioners um, to take it a step further. And while the work that we do clinically is so, so, so important, um, we all have such important experiences and ideas and every single one of us identifies things that could be improved. Um, and it is like taking that next step um, and becoming a leader in your clinic, becoming um, a leader at an organizational level, at the national level, et cetera, um, to really like connect the dots to improve things for a larger number of people. So like one-on-one, -on -one, we can have a huge impact, right? But as a leader in our profession and in the country and in the world, we can really change like everything, right? And so with CT surgery, as I mentioned, um, there is a book, I'm referencing a lot of books. Um, so there's a book called Change or Die and it has this bright orange cover, so you can't miss it. They speak about three different types of populations, and one of them being patients who go through coronary artery bypass graft surgeries, cabbages, and how that even after a du or double, triple, quadruple bypass, even after the fact, they still don't change their ways. They still go back to smoking a pack a day, eating lots of red meat, being very sedentary, um, and with a job in surgery, we don't necessarily think of preventative measures, but as a PA and not being the surgeon, I'm going to have that extra time to communicate with them and talk about the importance of attending cardiac rehab three months post-op and you know, making these lifestyle changes um, to improve quality of life. And then in terms of leadership, I, I get so fired up about policy. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm the chief delegate. So this is my third year in the house or experience in the house and advocacy and policy and just hearing different opinions that come to the floor and hearing what gets people excited and what creates this like fire in their belly is really exciting for me. And I hope to encourage students even when I'm a practicing PA, to get involved, stop by the House of Delegates, check out LAS, and um, you know, create this trend. And I think every year we tend to get a little more. Um, in fact, you know, one of my 
one of the things I'm proud of this year is that we had a 55% increase in the applications for our student delegation. So like students are getting excited. They are excited to have a voice and be a part of this change that's going on. So all of these students are in leadership roles among all of their peers. Uh, but how have their unique roles in leadership really given them experience to promote the future of healthcare? Let's listen. So I think my time on the Student Academy Board of Directors last year as president-elect and this year as president has really taught me um, the importance of collaboration. And I know I went into a profession that's based on team-based care, um, but it really emphasized how important it is to also practice team-based leadership, if that makes sense. So the person sitting on my right and the person sitting on my left have been absolutely instrumental in helping me grow as a leader. And if I hadn't have been open to you know, debriefing things with them or asking for their input on something before I put it forward to the board, if I didn't confide in my team and ask for their support, I don't think I would have made it as far. And, and I had another leadership experience um, during my PA career where I did that and was kind of burned from it. Um, and I think that just, the, I guess the growth that comes from being the, in this platform can translate to other leadership positions in a clinic or in a hospital, um, hopefully maybe down the line as, as an educator as well. Um, I think more than anything, it's taught me just that we do better when we go together rather than try to fly solo. I would echo everything that Cooper said. Um, Oh, I had something really smart to say, <laughs> but it, it flew away it, with your closing line. Um, being a PA student leader, I hope, um, is helping inspire other people to do the same. I think now, as a PA profession is changing, PA students are expected when they show up on the first day of PA school to be leaders, and whether that means being a leader with your patients or in your clinic or at a national level, um, I think, as you alluded to, the caliber of student is continuing to increase because it is so competitive. Um, so hopefully, we will just continue to see um, more and more students get involved. Personally, for me, that looks like hopefully increasing the diversity in our profession. Um, that's something that's really, really important to me in the next couple of years of leadership, and hopefully that we all continue to be leaders at a national level, but also in our own careers and in our clinics. My own aspirations are hopefully for like hospital administration. So I agree with both Cooper and Katie in terms of collaboration and just creating a different viewpoint of the profession moving forward. Um, some of the things that I've learned specific to my position as chief delegate and being involved in the House of Delegates are, is how important words are. And I don't think that, I took words for granted before I got involved in the house. And then to hear how people can interpret them all on their own is, is fascinating. And I, I love to hear those different perspectives. And like Cooper said, nearly before I make any decision, I reach out to Cooper and Katie, hey, what do you guys think about this? Do you have anything to add? What can we do to make it better or easier or more efficient? And then also I have, I have previous experience as a college cheerleading coach. And so I know how to lead from that perspective, but leading this delegation has been very rewarding, getting to know each of them and what makes them tick, um, but also being able to just take a step back and listen. And you know, when, 
we start out the conference calls and I kind of set it up for them and then I step back and I let them have this great discussion before I even chime in. And sometimes they've covered a lot of the bases that I don't have much to add. And that makes me feel like I'm doing a good job, that they're able to hold these conversations without me spoon feeding things to them. So um, communication, collaboration, delegation, all these T-I-O-N words. <laughs> and um, I think we'll transition immensely when I'm a practicing PA as well as national leader. I would just add that I think something all three of us do really well is that we all have strong voices. Um, but probably the most rewarding part of our roles is lending that voice to other students and helping them find their feet and becoming involved, whether that's at this program state or national level, um, but like giving wings to their idea and helping them make change. The future holds a lot of promise for these young professionals. Each of them offers a unique perspective that I think we as PAs can all relate to. Absolutely. And we've heard a lot about their backgrounds and career plans, but I would love to hear what gets these students excited about being a PA? I think kind of taking the question and spinning it a little bit, what excites me or, and gets me excited about the PA profession, thinking about my future career, just knowing that I'm going to have a lot of continuity of care and I'm going to hopefully be able to change health at the community level and not just with an individual patient and an individual visit. I think that really gets me excited because there's this great video um, of Brene Brown differentiating sympathy from empathy. Um, and when I think about what I can do as a provider, I think of um, you know, a patient is maybe comes into me and they're deep down in this dark hole. And instead of saying, hey, are you okay down there? Can I throw you a sandwich? I can go down into that deep dark hole, talk them, talk to them, help them see a light out of it, um, and then see how that impacts their life moving forward. So I think a lot of primary care has to do with mental health. Um, and a lot of patients will come in with vague complaints that have really no great explanation. And I think that what excites me about the PA profession is the fact that I can do that. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm going to have to see patient after patient after patient and chart after chart after chart without actually getting to create that personal connection. Um, I, I don't know if that's necessarily specific to the PA profession, but I like to think in my mind that it is. <laughs> um, one of the things that excites me the most about the PA profession is we're everywhere and you know we are we specialize down to conditions you know i remember reading an article last year about a pa who was an expert in multiple sclerosis and we're becoming members of committees at large institutions and we're starting to make our way onto medical boards and really show our value and what we bring to the table and as Katie had mentioned earlier, it's just a really exciting time. And I don't know how you can't be excited about it. Um, and then, you know, from a, a personal standpoint, you know, as, you know, policy and advocacy, like, really get me going. Um, but then, you know, just especially with the cardiac surgery and what I want to get involved in, you know, being able to see the patient from pre-op intraoperative, post-op, and follow up with them later to see those changes that they've made. Again, I would echo everything that they've said. Um, the, uh, and also, this is not specific necessarily to the PA profession, but the gift that our patients give us of being able to walk in the room and have like access to the most intimate, 
moments in their lives, I think, is what excites me and keeps me going and keeps me motivated. Um, and I can't wait to do that more than one day a week and hopefully finish didactic in a few weeks. Um, but I think that's the, so cool. Um, and then stuff like this motivates me. I know a lot of us um, in our schools and I'm sure in your workplaces, everyone cares. Some people care a little bit more. And these people that I have connected with on at AAPA and PAEA and all of the different organizations keep me going and keep me motivated and things like this coming together and seeing how much everyone cares and like everyone walking a mile to go advocate on the hill even though they're not the most mobile is just so cool um, and I hope to see it just continue to blossom as we mature into our professional careers. You know, it's so exciting to see the passion these students have for the work they are doing. It is refreshing to hear coming from the early students and the early career PAs that are just so excited about this. Um, I think it, it helps remind me of why I have joined this profession and seeing the current crisis and our ability to respond. Like you mentioned, Andrea, our ability to pivot and fulfill the needs um, and treat our communities is so important. I agree. One of my favorite things about being a PA besides patient care is really being a mentor. And one of the great experiences that I had is when one of my PA students came back and thanked me for all of the things that I did during his clinical rotation. And he's now also a leader leading in a big time hospital. Those moments are really, really great and why I love being a PA. I was personally excited to be able to ask the participants the next question, which was about their views on diversity in the PA profession. Listen to what they had to say. So Betty Coplin and Shawnee Wilson authored a, a publication that was um, the, uh, regarding the lack of diversity within the PA profession that I think was very eye-opening. Um, it's very important to have diversity in the PA profession because there, you know, we were talking about how difficult it is to get into PA school. Um, it's difficult. Um, I, I may not be the picture perfect um, example of a diverse applicant on, on appearance, but being a gay male from Oklahoma who is an adult orphan from a very disadvantaged background with no money, um, I was very, very distressed at how much it cost to even apply to PA school. I had six interview invites and I could only afford three. So that's kind of, you know, it gives you a glimpse into what it's like for somebody from a somewhat disadvantaged background to, to even get into PA school, let alone find people who are like them within the profession. Um, so I think that's, that's one piece. Um, another piece is that when you are thinking about our patient population, it is so important that your patients are able to see somebody who looks like them or is from a similar culture as them or who understands where they're coming from. I think there's a huge disconnect between providers who may not have had a similar experience to their patients and being able to understand how the education they're giving that patient and the management of their condition um, looks like within the terms of their cultural abilities or, or uh, not abilities really, but their cultural environment and their the social determinants of health really. And unless you've experienced that, it's kind of it's kind of hard to to get there. So there's amazing groups like the Physician Assistants of Color, um, the PAC is what they're called. There are two PA students who founded this group, um, Jasmine Cofield and Samora, and um, they have blown up, <laughs> for lack of a better word. They're 
tons of members on their Facebook group. They're very active, doing events across the nation to try and increase diversity within the profession. Um, and that was a grassroots effort that is continuing on, and I hope to see it flourish and grow even more. I have so much to say. Um, but along the grassroots effort-wise, I would love to see more work being done on all of the organizations front. I'm working on it, too. Um, to try to increase the diversity in our profession. Um, as Cooper alluded to, it is documented in the research that not having providers that look like you is a, an enormous barrier to seeking care. And if our patients that are most in need are not seeking care, then when they do seek care, it's more expensive. There's, it's just harder to have positive outcomes. Um, within our, I'll speak to kind of what we are doing, at least on a student academy level. Um, this year we had two resolutions. One was to um, make it mandatory that every student society, so in each PA program, there is a student society, usually they're student-led, so now it's required that they have a diversity representative. What Kind of what that looks like right now varies among schools, so we're working to try to kind of unify that. Um, we also, can I say this? Yes. Just announced that um, our, we've now, kind of molded one of our existing positions to be the director of diversity and outreach on the board. So this will be the first year that we'll have kind of like a targeted person, hopefully on the board to work with kind of what that looks like and how it evolves over the next many years. Um, and then we also had a resolution that we worked really hard on this year to identify barriers to PA school for people of minority backgrounds, um, and then try to come up with ideas for how you overcome those barriers. One like tangible example is that my program at the University of Colorado, we started a host program. So this exists at medical schools across this country. I don't know how many PA schools it exists in. It didn't at mine. Um, but that existing students house people that are coming for interviews. So like if Cooper couldn't afford to stay at all of the places he was interviewing, he could at least afford flights and then stay with a student. So working to try to identify student-led initiatives that can hopefully make tiny little changes to change this landscape. This is hard. It's like a hot topic right now. It gets me really upset. Um, but I'm hoping that even just by talking about it, especially in rooms like this, right? We all look kind of similar. Um, we have to start talking about it. I was at a really great talk the other day um, from a physician who leads like women's rights in leadership, mostly in medicine, but now also on boards. Um, and she made the really good point that until you have a 30% you have 30% of people in the room that are not white men, um, the decisions don't change. Um, so having that like solid group of people who are different is so, so important. And until we have that 30% margin, um, we can't stop thinking about it and being really intentional about it. Well, there really is so much passion here in this group, and it is great to hear. Andrea, thank you again for joining me today and for helping us bring this conversation to our listeners. Thank you for having me back, James. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us in this episode of Vital Minds. I want to give a special thank you to our student leaders for sharing their thoughts and their personal experiences. Hearing from early career PAs and PA students really reminds us of why we do the work that we do. While it's not an easy job, it is always exciting and it is very rewarding. And I certainly wish these students the best of luck. For more resources for PA students, visit the PA Foundation website at pa-foundation.org. And while you're there, be sure to catch up on all our other Vital Minds episodes. Until next time, everyone, I'm James Millward. And I'm Andrea Lowe. And this is Vital Minds. <laughs>